Good morning to you. It is a Saturday morning and it's time to talk sport in Canterbury with the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Enterprise, the recruitment company improving people's lives for over 50 years. And the big Super Rugby Clash tonight at Orange Theory. Got to talk about it. Crusaders Blues at 7.05. None better to talk about it than the man that played about 154 games, give or take a couple. And that is Andy Ellis. He joins us right now. Morning to you, Andy. Morning. How are you, mate? Yeah, I am good, mate. Uh, big games like this, do you generally get a bit, bit fizzed up about it? Oh, absolutely. I think this um, this kind of uh, competition's been a bit like that. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes some of the games are a little bit. They can be a little bit slow and flat, you know. But you sort of you sort of look forward to the big New Zealand derbies, I reckon. You know, and, and Crusaders Blues. Like, oh, we'll do this one all week. <laughs> I mean, when what was your favourite derby? Like, do, yeah, you, do you remember was, a specific I, game? No, I, was, uh, I, I still remember it always being the Blues. And I know the Crusaders have built up this kind of fantastic rivalry with the other New Zealand franchises, in particular the Chiefs, you know, in the last decade. But um, for some reason, the Blues, I don't know, I just remember growing up as a young fellow, Dad kind of installing it into me like, these are the Aucklanders coming down to our home. <laughs> and Bloody so, Jaffers. Um, yeah, and Carlos Spencer running into the corner and scoring a try <laughs> and kicking it. You know, all that stuff. Like, that, that, I don't know. I still, I still feel like the Canterbury-Auckland Blues Crusaders rivalry is... Uh, uh, there's something on it. Everyone knows. Like, everyone down here, they, they seem to know people in Auckland and there's always a lot of banter that flies between the two. Um <laughs> cities as well, you know, it's just the way it is, it's great. So where does your confidence lie with the Crusaders at the moment? Because it's it's a well-worn fact that they're up and down a bit this year. They, they, they come off a win against the Force and the and the Blues are coming off against that, well, surprise, one-point win over Moana Pacifica. You know Whitelock, what do you think? Yeah, it has been a, a, a challenging, I'd say, um, season for the Crusaders. you got to remember that they had massive amount of injuries over the first few rounds as well and and uh, the last thing the Crusaders will do is make excuses in that space but kind of the reality is it's kind of hard to get that, that flow going you know that consistency and, and positions and just game time under your belt but I kind of feel in the, in the last couple of weeks they've got a lot of their um, sort of key guys back in the mix you know great to see you know someone like Will Jordan back also last week um, and just so, so getting that kind of consistency um, with their sort of top team I think is, is really important and um, you know I still don't think we've seen the best rugby out of them yeah, but uh, you'd, like, you'd, you'd like to think that you know this really is a, is a big test match for them and if they can go out and, and play that kind of Crusaders rugby that, that we know that they're capable of um, and with with a lot of their key guys back I think I think it's a real kind of um, test this one for, for the Crusaders and you know really like will sort of show us where they sit but um, the they're real title contenders. On the flip side, though, Andy, you've got an Auckland side, a blue side, that have Riccatelli, Tupiloto back. Uh, you've got Choate back, Satutu back, Barrett goes to 5-8, Rico Ioani back, and Mark Talia starts. Uh, they are not, they're taking this one incredibly seriously, and they've got a lot of troops back. Oh, what a team. And yeah, a lot of rested guys, right? They, they did sit out at that minor game. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel a little bit like the Blues have been a bit like, you know, how I described the Crusaders as well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not really where they want to be just yet. They've played good rugby at times. But, you know, off the back of that campaign they had last year, you sort of thought, oh, wow, you know, the the Blues are going to be, um, they're going to be around for a few years now and they're going to be, um, you know, they, they could go on a, a pretty decent run of, of winning titles or, or being right up there for a, for a long time now. And I don't think we've quite seen that 
that edge out of them yet this year. Um, so again, like that's why I think there's just so much on this game. Both sides need to they can kind of really stamp their mark on this on this competition and show that um, you know they've turned a corner and, and they can spark it up. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, what better way? Eh? Crusaders yeah. lose um, to try and really uh, play the kind of rugby and. and uh, when I say kind of rugby, it's almost like the Chiefs are kind of setting that benchmark a little bit at the moment and everyone's sort of chasing them a bit. So these two teams get to kind of start to write some of their own story here. How much do you play into numbers, right? Like uh, that that win in Christchurch last year by the Blues was their first victory in the South Island in 18 years. I mean, you guys own, you know, your your stadium. How much do you play into the fact that 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 gives you an enormous confidence moving forward? Yeah, oh, I've got no doubt the boys would have probably the Crusader group would have touched on that this week. Um, that the, the the Blues came down and and beat them last year. Now, I'm sure they saw a bit of footage and video on that, and that will certainly motivate that group because, um, as we know, the Crusaders are extremely proud of their, their home record and extremely proud of playing in front of their family and mm. friends and um, fans. You know, so um, in terms of putting numbers on, I don't think it's a, it's a it's, a big thing, but yeah. it'll certainly it'll certainly give a bit of edge knowing that um, you know Blues came down and gave us one last year and kind of owe them one now, you know, at, at our own home. So it's, yeah, again, add a bit more edge to that this week. And of course, it's World Cup year, so there are there are players, and particularly in the uh, outside back positions, that are that are wanting to impress the All Black selectors. Moving forward, another important game for Will Jordan. Yeah, oh, it's it's just great to see him back out there and. You saw last, even even coming back last week, he's just class, isn't he? You know, he um, he's got this incredible ability to pop up at the right times. He's got big work rate. You know, he's he's always sniffing around, and and when there's an opportunity, he pounces so quickly on it. Um, yeah, great to have him back. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing him tonight. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of those uh, matchups. You know, pretty couple of pretty impressive pack lines, a couple of pretty you know, yeah. powerful four packs. Um, yeah, it really kind of is an, another sort of all-black trial again, isn't it? Oh, you um, love it. You've got to love it. You've got, you've got to love it. But, I, you know, with that aside, were you concerned at all when you read the likes that, that you know, whether it's true or not, you may have a, a better line on it. Uh, good Hewan and Fahununuku talks of going to play for Toulon or offshore. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I don't know too much about it. I haven't talked to the guys itself. Um, you've got to be careful when speculating things like this. Yeah. Um, you don't know what situation or position they're in or, you know, how that all looks. So, yeah, I, I don't know too much about that. Oh, Sorry. well, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, Crusaders, by how many for you, mate? Oh, I think, I think it's going to be 13 plus. <laughs> of now, of course, it's going to be. Th- why, why don't you just take your patch off now? <laughs> yeah, I know. But come on, I had I had to, didn't I? No, um, I? I think this is this one's going to be a massive physical bash up front, and I think the Crusaders might just have the edge there with 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 your Scotty Barrett and and um, Callum Grace and these guys. I don't know. That's kind of my feel, my gut. But I think whoever does win that up front battle. Um, it could be a bit of fun for the bags. Thanks for your time, Andy. Appreciate that as always. Anytime, mate. It's Andy Ellis, former Crusader and World Cup winning All Black. And still to come on the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner, lots. We're going to talk uh, junior cricket, also club rugby in Christchurch. And Jimmy Sinclair, he is the new, he's the new uh, Farah Palmer Cup coach for Canterbury. Right here.
You're listening to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner, and you couldn't get more Canterbury than the new Farah Palmer Cup coach for Canterbury in Jimmy Sinclair, and he joins us right now. Morning to you, Jimmy. Uh, kia ora. How are you going? Yeah, Glad I'm, to be here. Congratulations on a, on, on a new job and the, the first full-time Farah Palmer Cup coach. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is exciting. It's very exciting. Um, and credit to the people behind the, behind the curtain kind of pulling the strings to put that all together. There's been a lot of work on um, I know in the last kind of six months trying to pull this together. So, yeah, really grateful to be there. Yeah, how much does this revolve around New Zealand rugby's idea of investment into women's rugby that they can now uh, afford a full-time coach, or is this purely a, a Canterbury initiative? Um, it's a it's a mixture. I think obviously there is, um, you know, like in lots of. Uh, NSO, like national bodies down to local bodies. There's funding, obviously, from the national level, from what I imagine, which is supporting into um, Matatu and, and a little bit potentially into this role, because part of this role has also been a skills coach for the Black Moon Skills that are hubs here in Canterbury for Matatu. Um, so, yeah, look, I think it's a collaboration amongst, um, yeah, Matatu, um, Canterbury Rugby. Um, they're, they're kind of the main drivers that have been working together uh, which I think is the strength of the initiative or the programme um, to make this all happen. So I think it's really exciting. And, and like I said, we're, we're lucky also, like we've got Whitney Hanson here in Canary who's looking after Mata 2, which is obviously the um, super rugby team for the um, women's competition, which is super exciting. So, yeah. So so we need to understand, and people need to understand, we, we keep throwing out the word Mata 2 and the word hub. So explain what the Mata 2 uh, part of the job is and the hub so we get a better understanding about what is perceived to me as more of a hybrid job for you yeah so so part of um part of the role will be that being the skills coach for the blackburns contracted players who are here in canterbury um training out of what we call the matatu hub mm-hmm. um which is obviously based in canterbury um so whitney's leading that as well and she's she's probably got a a bit more of a global view on all of Matatu rugby, so also working across the South Island as well. Um, yeah, and part of my role is to help um, coach the girls who are here in Canterbury who are full-time contracted uh, as a black fan and helping them to, well, doing the best job possible here that we can to, to ensure that they can hold down their contract and, and grow their capability and ensure that, you know, m- moving forward to the next World Cup, we can produce also more black fans. Um, from the Canary region to be putting their hand up. It must be quite nice, Jimmy, uh, being a man, right? So in this part of the game, you're a man in a woman's world, so to speak, but that there is an openness within New Zealand rugby that, in which we saw with, with Wayne Smith and the Black Ferns uh, for the women's game to learn uh, from the men's game and then you can build succession plans with women. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think um, I've been coaching in the, in the women's space for close to when did I first kind of maybe close to kind of eight years so I'm very passionate about that space I think there are a lot of people that are passionate about this space which I think is mm-hmm. great um, and I think also like there's actually a lot um, you know we're like um, um, coaching in the female space is actually really beneficial for just a coach regardless um, of their gender and you know I've heard I've heard people talk about how much you learn when you walk into the female space coaching females uh, it can be really, really enjoyable for your coaching. Um, so I think it's a two-way street. You know, I think I think we we can learn just as much and and vice versa. I think the most exciting thing though here in Canterbury is 
we have some really, really um, high potential people like Whitney Hansons, you know, Melissa Ruscos, um, Kim Smith, got some great people in Canterbury uh, who we are looking to put plans in place to help support and grow the capability of some of the female coaches uh, that already exist in Canterbury. So I think yeah. that's definitely something that we're working towards, 100%. Yeah, and I think probably the I raised the question because not many people probably know the depth of what's happening in certain regions about in women's rugby. So you've you've learned I've learned something from you today. You've been involved in women's rugby for for eight years. How did you get into to coaching? What's your backstory? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> well, you oh. should you should know it. <laughs> yeah, my backstory. My backstory in coaching, I suppose you could say. Um, yeah, I started coaching. Um, Touch rugby was was a big sport of mine going up, uh, and still still um, has been for a long time. And my coaching journey around coaching female uh, athletes within rugby was I was coaching at a um, at a school that had a touch team, and a lot of the female athletes in that touch team uh, they played they played sevens. So they asked if I would be interested to help and coach um, the school sevens team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that literally is where my journey started, and then from there. I was lucky enough that year, then I got asked to coach the Canterbury um, women's team for seven. Uh, and I did that for two years. And then when I did that, I was lucky enough after that I got asked if I wanted to coach uh, the New Zealand under-17 seven team. And it just kind of doors started opening from there. So from there, we were lucky enough, we went to the Youth Olympics with the New Zealand female under-18 team. And then when I got back from that, um, then I was asked if I wanted to coach the New Zealand Sevens development team, which was a feeder team to the Sevens uh, backburn side. And so that's kind of how I fell into coaching in the female realm, um, which I'm really passionate about. But, you know, my original journey for um, coaching rugby, I'd give it up to probably Christchurch Rugby Club and Southbridge. Southbridge in particular were the first club to um, invest in me and give me the belief to be a head coach. Um which I'm, you know, forever in debt to them for giving me that opportunity. So, so yeah, so that's kind of a bit of a, a snapshot <laughs> backstory it's in, not- a, in a minute, in a minute for you. <laughs> Were you timing it? <laughs> no, but uh, did you, were you were you a rugby player at all, Jimmy? Uh, I did play rugby. To, um, I wouldn't say that I played to an extremely high level. Yeah. Um, like like all Kiwi kids, you know, you play a bit at high school. And I've had a little bit out of high school as well. Um, but, yeah, look, my main sport um, growing up, believe it or not, was actually ice hockey. So that was kind of my main, oh, wow. main sport, which I chose to, um, yeah, give a lot of time and effort to that sport. And then and then coaching kind of came later on in life. Um, yeah. How Do you think you were born to coach? I mean, you said Southbridge were the ones that gave you that opportunity. To have that 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 faith given to you, how big a step going forward as a young coach is that? Yeah, I think I think it's massive. I, I give I give heaps of credit to Southbridge and Chris McMillan and the players out there that gave me that opportunity. You know, like I say, I'm forever in debt to that club for that opportunity. I'm um, extremely grateful for what they did, and we had a great year that year. And um, we were lucky enough after 32 years to win back what is called the Coleman Shield, which is a significant uh, yeah significant competition. So yeah, I was really grateful for them. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, I think having opportunity. I think that is coaching. I think you know, opportunity is everything when it comes to coaching, and it's similar when it comes to playing. So, you know, sometimes the opportunities come, and you just have to take them with both hands and just invest. and And I think that's why I'm excited about um, this opportunity is 
um, yeah, it's just come up at the right time, I guess. And so, yeah, I'm excited for that. It's, it would appear a lot of people in Canterbury like you, Jimmy, because I saw this quote from Kate Sexton, who's the head of the Canterbury Women's Academy, and she said, uh, your ability to connect and challenge is, is outstanding. Do you, oh, do, do, you, do you like that? Do you believe that? Yeah, that's really nice. I went a lot of time for Kate. I think she's a fantastic operator, and I learn from her um, all the time. Um, yeah, I think that's really, I think that's great that she says that. Appreciate that. And yeah, look, I think, um, yeah, that is one of my strengths. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, we, we talk about it's about getting to know the person, not the performer. You know, we have to get to know the person on a relation, personal level, uh, before we can actually start trying to influence their performance. And, you know, that's across anything, whether it's yeah. rugby or um, the corporate sector or whatever you're working in, you know, how the deeper the relationship, you know, the, the better the better you can influence and support people because we know them we know them really well. So um yeah, so that's really nice of Tate and I think also like that quote there as well, you know, the better you know someone the the, the more trust there is so it's easier to challenge people. You know, if we have to try and challenge someone thinking we can do that if we've got a relationship. And, and and I got the I got the impression too, and on on that one point when Wayne Smith took over the Black Ferns, it was the openness of the women to learn that makes your job in women's rugby that much easier. Yeah, well, I would hundred percent agree with that. Definitely, I think hundred um, percent. I think I think coaching females in that aspect of you know they want to know why you know their ability for growth is just is just world class. I think that. That's what makes it really enjoyable coaching females. They, they just, yeah, they really, really want to learn. They just want to get better. Um, and that's not to say that in the male game, men don't want to get better. I think. Um, but they, but they have been conditioned differently. Let's be blunt. They've been conditioned differently through the grades, right? So they can, they probably have more set thoughts in their mind. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I suppose. Look, I suppose being, you know, rugby being the national game. Um, you know, lots of lots of boys grow up playing in the backyard, and and so their instincts become um, quite ingrained. So yeah. I think the challenge sometimes with coaching boys is it's not that they don't want to learn, but they might have some habits instinctively ingrained from them because they've played the game since they were five years old. Whether or not the habits are good or bad, some of them might be good. Um, whereas you know, the, not some females, you know, have played the game since five. You know, my wife played the game since she was five. She played rugby since she's five. Um, and then, and then I think that the beauty that is coming through with the female game is we're really fortunate that we have these kind of we have we have you know athletes that have played the game since they were very young, but then we have also kind of these cross code athletes that might have picked up the game at high school. But I think that the number one thing that does the trend of the characteristic traders still whether they've played the game from when they were five or whether they've played picked it up at high school or university, they're all still very open to learning. Um, yeah. Which so as a coach. You know, that's, that's all you can ask for is that your athletes are um, engaged and want to get better every day. And how do we do that? How do we create an environment that enables that all the time? I get the impression you're going to have a whole lot of fun. Your first game in the uh, Farah Palmer Cup's quite a way off. It's uh, against uh, Wellington on July the 15th. You said you liked ice hockey. Who, win, who wins the NHL this year? Who? Oh, sorry, who wins the NHL this year? Yeah, the, the America, the, you know, the North American comp. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually know the answer. Oh, okay. So you're you're not following ice hockey anymore. <laughs> no, no. That, that that part of that chapter that chapter of my life is um, as <laughs> long gone actually. Um, but yeah, I yeah. Thank <laughs> to, you. Yeah, you know, you've just 
you've just reignited an old passion there. Ah, there we go. Well, then, job done, Jimmy. Hey, mate, it's such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, You sound really excited about the new job, so uh, go well and and the best of luck, mate. Thank you for your time. Really enjoyed talking to you. Um, Yeah, all the best, and, yeah, I'm sure we will cross paths again. Thank you for your time. Saturday morning, let's talk all things Canterbury with the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Enterprise, the recruitment company improving people's lives for over 50 years. Cricket may be a summer sport, but it doesn't stop, and it's time to talk uh, junior cricket with the manager of Christchurch Junior Cricket, a good mate of mine, Rob Wilkinson. Morning to you, Robbie. Let's haven't spoken to you for such a long time, mate. Oh, no, Stephen. Great to hear you on the, on the radio again. Yeah, oh, thanks, pal. Thanks, pal. So, so, look, you've just finished a, a national hooey with uh, community cricket. Uh, what gives? Uh, what was discussed? So each year um, we pull together the community cricket staff from all over New Zealand. It's an opportunity for us to unpack the previous year, talk about how we're going to approach the, the upcoming year and, and work through any of the issues that might have come up and try to come up with solutions. So it was really positive to touch base with my colleagues from around the country, some of which have had a, a pretty rough time of it with the, with the weather impacting. Some of them and the likes of, of Auckland and the Hawks Bay have, have played, um, mm. they've actually played less cricket than they actually have played cricket, if you know what I mean. So they've had to cancel more than they've actually played. We were we were lucky here. We lost one game either side of Christmas, so it wasn't too bad. So what is the state of junior cricket around the country? And at, if you can just quickly explain to me, what when we talk junior cricket, what age levels are we actually talking about? So specifically, I work for the, for the Christchurch Junior Cricket Association and, and we handle all cricket for year eight boys and girls and below. Um, so we currently have around about 2,000, just over 2,000 boys and girls playing every Saturday over the summer. And... Um, People move from playing junior cricket into youth cricket, which is sort of secondary school level, and then onwards, onwards and upwards into into the adult game. So, okay, that's so that's quite specific. I thought I thought junior cricket might have moved uh, above year eight, but that's that's youth cricket. That's that's re- a real surprise for me. Uh, around the country, in talking to your peers, is junior cricket healthy? Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty happy with um, some of the, the figures that we're. Um, outlines in, in the hooey. One specific figure that we're really happy about is our is our work in the girls' space. Mm-hmm. Um, our girls' numbers have, have grown. This is we're up two thousand on what we had the previous year, um, and within that, our growth in, in adult participation is at eighteen percent, and in junior participation. So. So are we are we looking at that upswing in young women's cricket uh, attributed to the, the Cricket World Cup that was here? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that has that certainly added to that growth. Um, certainly the amount of cricket on, or female cricket that's on television now, and especially the Super Smash being on quite quite a lot over the last few years, is actually, as, as it has with rugby, if you, if you see it, you can be it. And that's been one of the things that I think has led to that. We've, we've made a big effort to um, support our girls' games, and we were, we were really wrapped to see that that hard work that we've put in over the last five to six seasons is, is coming through in numbers. And the next challenge for us is to look at trying to make sure that we, we eliminate any barriers that might um, prevent that growth from continuing on that upward spiral. And, and one thing that I and some of my other colleagues presented was a move to more coloured clothing within especially 
junior girls sport. Um, there's a lot of anxiety out there with girls sort of from the age of 10 onwards and playing in, in whites yeah. um, isn't ideal for them. So um, we actually had a number of clubs approach us last year and it was driven by the clubs and the participants themselves. And, and we very quickly gave them the go-ahead to, to move towards darker covers, especially bottoms, uh, when it comes to um, girls' clothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing we want to do is for, for girls to um, have issues when they're dealing with those things that happen yeah. in puberty. Well, but and, and, um, it's, it's and a it was a real one. no-brainer for us. Yeah, and and Robert, I I commend you guys for doing that because the the other the, the other part of this equation is fun. You know, because I'm sure there are there are young women out there that that look at her and go, oh, well, I don't go wear whites and boring, and they go, but you know, young men, young men and young women nowadays love fashion, right? They love bright colours, and it's it's a bit like it's like a bit like dangling the carrot or the you know the the the, the, the fluffy in front of the cat. Make it make it interesting, right? Oh, absolutely, and and we've really been wrapped with the amount of um, uh, involvement that we've had from our from our community on, on really making sure that fun is the, the main thing that we're, we're looking to do. Um, it's less about competition. Um, we've removed a lot of the things about points tables and those sorts of things. So um, both boys and girls can just go out there, play with their mates, um, interact with people from all over the city and just have a really positive time. So we really focus on the fun aspect of it and don't really want people to get too serious about cricket until they move into that youth space. So that's what we've really been focusing on over the last five, six years. A lot of the work that we've done to introduce new formats, uh, reduce the length of games for younger players. So if you've got a five, six or seven-year-old, they won't be expected to to play a game longer than probably an hour and a half to an hour and and three quarters. So they'll play a 12-over game, they'll get a guaranteed number of balls to face and they'll both get and they'll all get an opportunity to bowl. So cricket now is very different from cricket twenty years ago in terms of full pitch lengths, long games. It's very modernizing now and, and trying to be an attractive option for boys and girls. You know, it sounds, it, it reminds me of being, it reminds me a little bit of being a, a coach for my son's footy team a long time ago and, and watching the growth and development of, of young kids being encouraged just to get amongst it. But there is, and I'm glad you said uh, one part about not worrying about the so-called competitive angle until they get to the youth level. Do you think it's a, a danger not to at least instill some idea of competition, or do you think that just happens organically? Yeah, I think the thing that we need to do is we need to still respect the value of, of learning about winning and losing, and, and winning gracefully and losing gracefully as well. So we still do look at of the game, but it's certainly not the most important thing. The most important thing is that when children walk away from a game, that they can reflect on the negative aspects of their own performance, but also still look forward to the next week when they have another opportunity to try new things um, and and just hang out with their hang out with their mates. Yeah, um, so yeah. we have we have around about um, twenty five girls only teams that play on a Saturday, um, and that's up from fourteen teams around about five years ago. So we're really wrapped that we're getting tangible traction amongst girls and just 
the move to coloured clothing will hopefully eliminate some of those barriers to to keep that wave of um, interest in the girls' game going. And, and I bet you're going to tell me when I ask you this question, mums and dads are loving it. Oh, they are. They, they absolutely are. And I'm really wrapped that on a Saturday I'll sort of hopefully um, get cricket underway and not have to make kids cry and cancel games. But <laughs> once, once everyone's underway and everyone's in the right place and they're underway, I normally take off in a direction of the compass and just judge the vibe around our ground. And it's really good and really supportive. And, and not only do the, do the players interact, but the parents interact in. And you can have player, uh, parents from lots of different uh, walks of life interacting with each other. Um, just noticing quite a, an increase in the, the ethnic diversity of our players as well. And the ability, the social benefits that come out of not only the, the boys and girls interacting with each other, but also the adults on the sideline interacting with each other. And I, I know, and I get the impression, Rob, just the way you're talking, that you probably don't have too many grumpy mothers and fathers on the side of that because of the way you're approaching junior cricket. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're really wrapped with the vibe that we create um, in terms of having to deal with any disciplinary or, or bad behaviours. We've probably had a couple this year, and they were mainly solved by just going to the clubs themselves and just saying, look, this, this guy might be sort of possibly getting a little bit too serious. Um, let's just try and modify that behaviour so we're keeping it as light and as, and as fun for all the participants. You see, if I'm a mum or dad listening to this right now and listening to what you're saying, I want my, my son or daughter to go and play uh, junior cricket. So if they want to play junior cricket for Canterbury, uh, how do they get in touch with the association? So within Christchurch, we handle everything within the metropolitan area. So CJCA is a, an organisation that's been around for 60 years, specifically focusing in that junior area. And we hope that some of the things that we can do when we have a focus on the junior space can be utilised elsewhere around the country. So certainly within Christchurch, the CJCA is the, is the organisation which um, works with all our member clubs and schools. And on the periphery of Christchurch, we've also got the Canterbury Country Cricket Association. So they've really grown. We've been rather static in the last sort of um, 10 years since the earthquakes with a lot of people relocating. But the, the big beneficiary out of that has been Canterbury Country. So with areas like Rangura and Kaiapoi and Wollaston and Lincoln and Prebleton, that's where the growth has been. So they've moved from probably 60, 70 teams to probably doubling that number um, since the earthquakes. So Across the, the, within probably 100 kilometres of Christchurch, we've got a significant number of boys and girls being able to play locally, and hopefully we've got the right format for them to play in that just keeps them moving towards the more conventional game as they get into that youth area. So you won't actually play on a full-length pitch until you go to high school. Below that, up until year eight, you play on 18 metres and then 16 metres, and then 14 metres, and then our, our youngest cricketers who, who play, that's a bit of organised chaos, it's six aside, they'll play on a 12-metre pitch, and if they can't get a ball that they hit, they'll hit a ball off a tee. So the ball's in action, and the, there can be some fielding, and there can be some running, and so there are some concepts of what cricket will move to eventually um, for them at a, at, a, at a very young age. Mate, I appreciate so much positivity coming out of uh, Christchurch Junior Cricket. Thanks for your time, Rob. 
Saturday morning and you're listening to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Time to talk Christchurch Club Rugby. Thanks to Trident Homes, designed for living and built for life and none better than Craig Kerr. Morning to you, Craig. Stephen, how are you? Mate, I'm good. It's a Saturday morning. Why couldn't we be good? There's sports going on all around the country, but let's talk Canterbury Club Rugby. So, mate, we're, we're four rounds into the club season. Uh, any surprises when you take a look at the ladder? Well, as you say, early days in the 12-team competition, Stephen. Marist Albion are the only unbeaten team to date, which is, uh, which is good news for them. It's not really a surprise, to be honest. But uh, I guess the biggest surprise, Stephen, is the position of the traditional strong Christchurch rugby club mm-hmm. holding up the foot of the table mate what is happening unheard of Christchurch a, a huge club yes yeah, so, so what is happening well I think to be honest mate they are a victim of their own success I and mean, we hear that a lot I guess in, in sport for many years they, they put such a strong team on the paddock and perhaps in hindsight didn't introduce enough youth into that into that group right. and chose to stick with the tried and tested Mate, five years ago they had a Colts team that totally dominated Colts rugby. But if I right now, I don't know if any, or if there if there are only very few of that Colts team that are even playing any any sort of rugby for, for Christchurch or for any other club, as they just basically felt that there was no pathway. So they gave the game away, which is which really is, really sad because that was that was an awesome team. Well, well, that's horrible, right? Because we know how strong Canterbury Club Rugby is, at, which which should move on to Canterbury Rugby Provincial and the likes. That you have so many young kids around that you got to point a finger, right? You got to point a finger at, at what's going on in the, in the club itself. Well, you do, I guess, and, and I think to be fair to Christchurch, so I think they've recognised that fact now. And well, well, they've had to, haven't they? It's it's been forced upon them, and um, yeah, I guess they're throwing themselves in a position now, which is which is very uh, unusual to them, that's for sure. And you know, the rest of us, I guess, that are, that have been involved in club rugby here for a long time, are looking at that, thinking, "Crikey, um, you know, well." <laughs> I hope this is not a reflection of the game well, long term. Well, well, you'd hope so. Maybe it's just maybe it's just a reflection of what's gone on there. But look, let's let's talk about on the positive side of things, Craig. Uh, the rise of Marist Albion. They've been a club on the rise for three or four years now. Superbly coached by former all-back Ben Blair. You will mm-hmm. recall young Ben as a as a, a sprightly little fullback for for Canterbury and and the All Blacks in the day, and. I guess the, the advantage of the club like Marist Albion have, they don't really have any superstars, Stephen. So it basically means, barring injury, they stick with the same group of players for their entire season. Whereas you look at, a, say, a club like Lincoln University, for example, a myriad of fringe Crusaders players get to play, you know, bugger all club footy and are dripping in and out throughout the season. Combinations, as a result, suffer. And I guess that's where Marist Albion have, have a a bit of an advantage across the rest of the club. They've got a good, solid group of 25, 26 club players, you know, good senior players, and they just do the job week in, week out. And, as I say, Ben Blair, well coached. Yeah, but you know what that comes down to. It's the old adage, right? Team, the one word, team. 100%. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, as I say, you use Lincoln as a, as a classic example. And they've been really strong down here for, for a number of years. But just over the last few years, that that tide has changed a little bit because those those fringe crusader players are now not getting not allowed to play as much club rugby as as they would perhaps like to. So um, and that's you know, a problem the, the for Lincoln me. That's a, mate, for me, sorry to interrupt, but that's a huge problem for me, right? I, I don't think there should be protection. I mean, club rugby is the heart and soul of rugby in this country. 
Well, you can't be a crusader or a canary player on all ground unless you've played club rugby. It's as simple as that. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to the women's game because there is a a growth in women's rugby uh, across the country, uh, and Canterbury that they are perennial Farah Cup champions. Uh, do you see that though? Do you see that domination in the in the women's competition? Well, look, the women's competition is an interesting one, and I would go as far to say is that the women's competition here doesn't reflect the tremendous effort of the Canterbury Farah Palmer Cup team. Mm-hmm. There's five teams that make up the top division here in, in Canterbury, and that's pretty much dominated by two clubs, the Christchurch Club mm-hmm. and the University of Canterbury Club. The other three teams, look, they occasionally pull off an upset. But I think if if if, if I was being honest with you, I think Canterbury Rugby will be looking at that women's game and thinking we have a, quite a bit of work to do in that space yeah. just yet. There are, some, there are some horrendous blowouts in the women's game rugby competition. I'm talking 100-point blowouts, which is, I don't know... Yeah, it's not good. It doesn't look good. Yeah, and you'd you'd hope the likes of Whitney Hanson, who's now uh, looking after the Matato Hub, right, which is we know is a Blackferns Hub, but but we'll have her eye across those sorts of things to make to maybe uh, find how you improve the level of women's rugby. She's the perfect person for it, Stephen. There's no doubt about that. Quality, absolute quality, with the Hanson, and um, you know she, she'll know exactly. She'll she I'm sure she would agree with exactly what I've just said. Mm. Mate, before we touch on country rugby, uh, the, uh, the one thing I love about you know club rugby is getting out there in the sunshine on day games and, and seeing good crowds. What are the crowds like for sort of club rugby at the moment in the Christchurch region? There is still a good following, a good following. There's a good couple of, couple of 300 people scattered around the grounds at, at, at every club game. So the following is, is tremendous. We'll talk a little bit about, I guess, the quality uh, a little bit later on, but uh, yeah. <laughs> don't don't be bringing any downers on this show today, mate. Let's talk about. Sorry, man. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about country country rugby because you know a lot of the a lot of the great All Blacks have come out of country rugby. Uh, how does it look like with that? You know, because we know there's a rural drift of players wanting to go into maybe into the big centres or just getting out of the country. How is it stacking up at the moment? Well, look, I'm a bit biased here, mate. Although Lincoln University is actually my club and they play in the town competition, I love country rugby mm-hmm. and, and everything that it stands for, the com- comradeship, the community feel, and, of course, not to mention the after matches. Um, <laughs> but, but country rugby down here is effectively split into either side of the Wyomack River um, and the Ellesmere and North Canterbury who both run their own competitions. But right at the moment... Ellesmere and North Canary play clubs are playing in a combined competition alongside the Mid Canary Club. So that features around 20 clubs from across the region, split into two pools, and, and they just go hell for leather for, for 10 or so weeks and, and end up with a winner, uh, an overall combined country winner, So um, which is fantastic. It's great. It gets people around. Pretty tough, of course, because a lot of lot of driving, a lot of travelling from, from sort of Kaipoi in, in the north down to... Uh, uh, you know, down to require even further down in the south. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a trek. But um, Prebleton from Ellesmere lead that competition just at the moment alongside Saracens from North Canterbury and Ashley from North Canterbury. Those are three leading teams after five rounds. And um, it'd be fair to say we have a lot of the town competition. I think numbers are, are an issue ah. in, in country rugby and uh, a lot of players strip for both the A and the B team. 
That's a, on, the, on the same day. That's, that's, so. a, that's a busy old thing. But most importantly, you said the right thing. They got together. They said, okay, how, how do we make the competition, the club rugby, continue and survive, get together, you know, join together? And I think that's a, a really smart play. What's smart, too, is school, if you were half-decent at school, because uh, has the school rugby competition kicked off yet? Because I'm hearing a lot of things, uh, big good things about Christchurch boys. Christchurch boys, always a strong team, no doubt about that. Ironically speaking, the club competition kicks off uh, this weekend. So, uh, well, the, not the club competition, the schools yeah. competition, which is good. So that's, uh, and that, of course, is teams from across the Crusaders region. So Christchurch, Marlborough and Tasman, West Coast don't provide a team into that. They're all, all competing for the honour of the top school. Nelson College being the team to beat of late, and I suspect we'll be right up there again. So I, I know that I, I was reading the other day that the uh, Christchurch boys were, uh, were had a preseason tour, like a lot of the uh, you know can-do schools, and they uh, tipped up some of those top North Island schools. So they'll be pretty confident. When we look at club rugby, th- there was once a time when Christchurch club rugby was incredibly tough. Do, do you see that still? Look, I think the standard has dropped over the last five years. And, I'm, and as, I, as I mentioned about the women's game earlier, the he called as a Canary Rugby. There'll be some real concerns for the future of the game. It's playing numbers, in particular young men. They just decline at an alarming rate. But do schools need to have a dozen or so teams running around playing for their school on a Saturday afternoon? Would those players not be better off, if they, unless they're in the first or second 15, would those players not be better off sticking with the clubs that they came from, keeping the club seen alive and well and if they manage to make the first 15 or the second 15 as, as they go through school or college, that's the time to go and play for your school. I, I firmly believe there's a, there's a real issue there and, and not wow. only in rugby here in Christchurch but I think cricket as well. I really do believe that school sport needs to be left to an, an, an elite level, the first or second 15s or 11s or whatever you want to call and let these kids that are never going to make the first 15, don't drag them out of their clubs to play for the the Christchurch Boys High School F team that's coached by (laughs) some poor old father that only knows his kid in there let that kid stay at his club Burnside or or Marist Albion or wherever he's from and and work with the clubs and schools and the clubs need to work closer together. That's, that's my view. So no, no, a no, no but you make a really good point because the one thing schools need to remind themselves of, they are part of community. They are part of a community. And, and they're an important part of the community, but you shouldn't be dictating what goes on. Nice thoughts, mate. Just before I do go, Stephen, we talked about whether Canary Club Rugby is still the strongest in the country. Mate, I'm a one-eyed Canterbury, so hell yes, it is. <laughs> oh, perfect way to end our chat. Craig Kerr, I appreciate the thoughts on all things local rugby. Thanks so much, mate. Lovely to talk to you, mate. Yeah, there you go. Craig Kerr, thanks to Trident Homes, proud supporters of the Trident Home tactics. Check out our modern home plans at tridenthomes.nz.